Today, we are wrapping up our Love, Sex, and the Bible series. And one of the things that I want us to keep in mind is that marriage is a gift that God gives us. And as a gift, we have to remember it's from our Father. Scripture says that He's not just our Father, but He's a good Father. And marriage is a good gift. And when we look at things like sex and romance and desire within the context of marriage, it can be a beautiful picture of not just the relationship we have with each other, but God as our Father giving us something that's going to bring peace and fulfillment in our lives. So I pray this series has been a blessing for you. And as we unpack this last chapter, I pray that it hits you in a place where you can fully understand God's love for you. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like he's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. The Hearing Jesus Podcast is so excited to partner with Compassion International. We believe in Compassion's mission to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. Sponsors, when they sponsor a child, have the opportunity to see firsthand the impact that you're making through letters and updates that you receive from your sponsored child. It's not just changing the lives of children, it's changing entire families, whole communities, always through the local church and always in Jesus' name. When you choose to sponsor a child, you ensure access to quality education, medical checkups, healthy food, clean water, and most importantly, the love of Jesus. Delivered through a church in their community because of a generous, caring sponsor like you. And you can speak life, love, and hope to your sponsored child through personal letters that you'll exchange. I hope you'll join me in sponsoring a child through Compassion today. All you have to do is pull out your phone and text Hearing Jesus to 83393. You'll get a text back with a picture of a child who is waiting for a sponsor and a link to sponsor that child. You can also go to Compassion.com forward slash Hearing Jesus to choose a boy or girl to sponsor. When you sponsor, we'll also send you a copy of She Hears Learning to listen to Jesus, my book, as a token of our thanks for investing in the life of a child. Thank you for joining me and sponsoring a child through Compassion today. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, and today is our final installment of the Love, Sex, and the Bible series, where I am going through the book of the Song of Solomon. And so we are in chapter eight today, which is the final song. And as I go through, I will read the text, I will give some commentary, and then I'll read the text again. And I just pray that this series has been a blessing for you. Feel free to reach out with any questions at rachel at shehears.org. So I'm reading from the NASB. And in the beginning, in verse one, is this is a title where it would say the lovers speak. So that means both of them are speaking back and forth. Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my brother's breasts. If I found you outdoors, I would kiss you. No one would despise me either. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother who used to instruct me. I would give you spiced wine to drink from the juice of my pomegranates. Let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. The groom, swear to me, you daughters of Jerusalem, do not disturb or awaken my love until she pleases. 
And then the chorus, which is the daughters of Jerusalem respond, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved, the bride beneath the apple tree. I awakened you there. Your mother went into labor with you there. She was in labor and gave birth to you. Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as Sheol. Its flames are flames of fire, the flames of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers flood over it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. The chorus, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will barricade her with planks of cedar. The bride, I was a wall. My breasts were like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard in Balhaman. He entrusted the vineyard to caretakers. Each one was to bring a thousand shekels of silver for its fruit. My very own vineyard is at my disposal. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred are for those who take care of its fruit. The groom, you who sit in the gardens, my companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear it. The bride, hurry my beloved and be like a gazelle or young stag on the mountains of the balsam trees. So this passage starts out and, you know, one of the things that I keep saying over and over when we study together is that we have to recognize that while scripture was written for us, it was not originally written to us. It was written to an ancient people group in the ancient Near East. And there are things that they would have understood about the language, about the culture that we just sometimes miss. Things feel different or they feel difficult for us. Also, combined with the fact that ancient poetry was written a little bit different than the way that we read and understand poetry. So I think it's important to break down some of these concepts so we have a better understanding. And so right off the bat, it feels weird to us to hear the words, oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my brother's breasts. If I found you outdoors, I would kiss you. No one would despise me either. Well, initially we might feel like, Ugh, we, that might give us the ick thinking it's like some sort of incestuous relationship. But actually, let's unpack that and how the original hearers would have understood that, how the original author would have meant that. In that culture, if you were to kiss your brother, if you were a woman, you were to kiss your brother in public, that was acceptable. It was perfectly fine. And often they would greet each other with a kiss. So you would see your brother on the street in the market or something, and you would lean in for a kiss. That was completely normal and acceptable. However, if you were to lean in and kiss your lover or your boyfriend, sometimes even your spouse on the street, that was not acceptable. And so one of the things that we have looked at in previous chapters, previous episodes in this book is that the terms brother and sister, the actual word in the Hebrew, it would have been used interchangeably as a term of endearment. But that's not what we're talking about here. Here, we're actually talking about the word brother because it's referring to a blood relative. So what she's saying is if you were like a brother to me who nursed at my brother's breast, meaning were you, if you were my brother and I could see you outdoors, I could just lean in and kiss you and nobody would get mad at me about it. But because you're not my brother, because you're my lover, because you're my my spouse, I can't do that in public. That's a complaint that she's talking about. So there's nothing perverted going on here. We have to kind of look at what it's actually saying and consider the culture that they were in. And then we see a repeat of some of the language that we've heard throughout this text, talking about the beloved, some of the poetic language, but I want to jump down to verse six, where it says, put me like a seal over your heart. 
I want to unpack that a little bit. Or a seal on your arm, she says later in that verse. In that culture, the impressions on a seal were a way that they used to indicate the ownership of material. Or like on a letter, it was a way that they indicated that that document was authentic and it came with the authority of the person that was sending it. If that seal was broken, then you knew that either somebody else read it or somehow it didn't end up with you with the way that the original sender intended or you know everybody would have an individual seal and so you could tell who it was coming from if it said it was from one person but it didn't have a recognizable seal on it you knew that it wasn't belonging to that person and so it was this way to indicate the ownership of something i would send out a letter with my name on it with my girl seal and if you received that letter and either it didn't have that seal or the seal looked different than what you knew to come from me you would know okay this is this is not legit. Same thing with material. They would seal it. So these impressions were a way to say, yes, this belongs to this person. So what she's saying here is she wants him to willingly give himself to her. Putting a seal on his heart would be a reflection of this commitment, this personal commitment that they have, this private nature, this passionate thing that we've seen unpacked over the last couple days, that commitment. And then the seal on his arm will be the public part of it. So a seal on the heart will be a private commitment and a seal on the arm, which would be outward facing to the community or to those around them, would be a public declaration. So she's basically saying, I want to be both yours in your heart and I want everybody else to know about it. And I think that's really special, really sweet. Sometimes we overlook that because we don't understand the seal culture. And then that same verse, it goes and it talks about jealousy. It says, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as Sheol. It's flames and are flames of fire, the flame of the Lord. Well, Sheol is hell. And so when it's talking about jealousy, that word jealousy that's used there, it's actually not jealousy in the Hebrew. It's actually a synonym for the word love. And so when it's talking about Yahweh's jealousy, Yahweh is how they refer to God. So God's jealousy for Israel is a definition of what's being talked about here. And so remember, Israel had this assurance of God's passionate commitment and Israel was God's people, his favored people, but it also required them to be exclusively committed to him. Israel was to have no other gods before him. And so, yes, it's translated as jealousy, but you would almost want to think about that in terms of love, not necessarily jealousy the way you or I would explain jealousy. Hey friends, are you loving the deep conversations, the biblical insight, and the spiritual growth content that I share on the Hearing Jesus podcast? Well, I've got some fantastic news for you. Starting at just $5 a month, you can become a member of our Patreon community and take your Hearing Jesus experience to a whole new level. When you join Patreon, you gain access to ad-free episodes, daily journaling prompts and worksheets, monthly bonus content, personalized Q&A sessions with me, giveaways, and more. 
As a Patreon supporter, you're not just a listener, you're a valued member of my inner circle. But that's not all. Our Patreon community is a place where you can connect with like-minded people who share your passion for spiritual growth, engage in meaningful discussions, share your thoughts, and be part of something that's truly special. Plus, we've got some awesome perks lined up for our Patreon supporters, from shout-outs on the podcast to exclusive merch and more. So if you're ready to dive deeper into the journey of hearing Jesus, head on over to patreon.com forward slash hearing Jesus. Your support makes a real difference, allowing us to continue bringing you inspiring content week after week. Also, a portion of any income from Patreon goes to support children through our partnership with Compassion International. Again, head to patreon.com forward slash hearing Jesus. Thank you for being a vital part of the Hearing Jesus community. Together, let's learn to live out our faith in our everyday life. And then verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers flood over it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. So here we have this understanding that God's design for love is designed to counteract the destruction and the chaos that consumes the world around us. And love, true love that is based in God's design is going to rise above all of those kinds of things. And when it says, if one were to give all the wealth of the house, that's describing this kind of passion that they have for one another. And that is a gift, that kind of passion that we see as an example that is based off of this foundation of praise and adoration and respect and honor. That is a gift that you cannot buy, you cannot sell, and an attempt to buy or sell is not going to be well received and it's not going to last because this is a kind of love that is built with a foundation, not something that could be easily bought or sold like the riches of his house if he were to sell his house. And then in the chorus, they talk about um, having a little sister. Remember back to the beginning when it talked about the brothers, the woman's brothers. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I would go back. I think it's chapter one. We talked about this. The woman's brothers think that their little sister is too young and too immature to get married and they want to guard her chastity. And there is a disagreement between her and the the husband, the the lover. And so that is something I think is, you know, very telling of human nature. Um, You know, my husband has a brother and they have a little sister. And I think that if some guy came knocking on the door when she was 14 or, you know, whatever you determine the age was too young in that culture, uh, they would be upset about it and they would probably fight him. I think that is such uh, a telling thing that not only reveals their heart for their little sister, but their love for their little sister. So while we kind of had a negative view of the brothers at the beginning, it's interesting that here we're seeing a different side of them. Verse nine says, if she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will barricade her with planks of cedar. Well, a wall is meant to keep people out. And metaphorically, especially in that culture, the way they would write about that is it was a representation of being chaste or having virginity. And so if the brothers are seeing behavior that they think is inappropriate, they're going to make sure that she is inaccessible to him. And when it talks about enhancing her beauty with towers of silver, well, a door lets people in. 
And if they can see that there's this inappropriate behavior or what they think is going to be inappropriate, the nail will shut the door and they will have cedar boards basically like sealing this guy out. And so it's all a metaphor about how they're basically saying, look, we're going to barricade her inside of here. And, and you know, in human behavior, it takes a while for big brothers to warm up to a potential mate for their younger sister. I mean, I've seen that in our own family. I'm sure you've seen that. We've seen that reflected on TV. It's kind of just a running joke. But in that culture, especially, the big brothers definitely had a role to play in making sure that their, their little sister, no matter what age she was, if it was their younger sister, they were partly responsible for her. And so they're going to make sure that when it comes time for her to choose a spouse or for a spouse to be chosen for her, that it's going to be somebody that's going to treat her with honor and respect. And then we see her respond. She says, I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who finds peace. So they're saying, listen, you came here when she wasn't even fully developed and she was too young for you. And we're saying no. And then she's fighting and saying, no, that's not what happened. I was fully sexually mature and my virtue was intact. And so she is kind of fighting for her own right to make her own decisions about love and who she wants to marry, who she wants to be with. I think it's interesting also to talk about decision-making for women in this culture because that is something that is hard for us to understand as modern women especially, but women didn't typically have a lot of rights. And so she's even fighting back when was talking about in 11 and 12 about the vineyards. She's saying, my vineyard is at my own disposal, meaning I can do what I want with my own vineyard. And vineyard couldn't necessarily be a metaphor for her own body, her own choice. It could also be talking about the ownership she has of this piece of land. And so she goes on to defend this relationship and talk about this value of the vineyard over everything that Solomon owns, meaning there's this idea that love cannot be bought or her love anyway, can't be bought. And she has the right to make her own decisions about her own sexuality. And that's based off of this marriage and this love that she has. And she doesn't want that dictated to her. And so I love seeing that because we don't often see that in the scriptures, you know, because of the culture. I mean, we do see women actually doing that, but the culture of the scriptures and that time frame, it was very rare. I mean, it was very rare for that to even be happening, let alone recorded. And so I love seeing this idea of, no, this wasn't just some situation where she was forced into this relationship with this guy. No, she is making the decision to willingly go into this relationship and there is mutual love. You can't just buy love. So even if he had come along with a really tempting offer of, you know, fields and vineyards and money and palaces or whatever, even all of those things, if he threw those at her, could not buy the kind of love that they're experiencing right now. And so she's standing up for herself and talking about this experience that she's had with him, which I think is such a beautiful picture. And this last part in 13 and 14, we see this exchange back and forth where he's saying, you come here. I want to hear your voice. I want to be around you. And then she's saying, hurry, I want to be around you too. That's essentially what's happening. And it's this beautiful picture of this idea that there is no level where you're finally arrived, meaning it's not like you get to this place where you're just done loving your spouse. The idea of, of a godly, God-honoring, loving relationship is that that's never complete. 
It's always ongoing, this side of heaven and probably on the other side of heaven, where we're always longing for more, we're reaching for more, we want to be around the one that we love. And you know, even when it comes to things like passionate lovemaking that we've seen throughout the eight chapters of this book, you know, it's not like you do that once and then, okay, you're good. We've consummated the marriage. No, for most people, there's a yearning to repeat that. It's it's kind of the way that God has designed our bodies, or it is the way that God has designed our bodies. And the same thing is true emotionally. It's not like we just have our knees met once and then we're done. No, it's this constant yearning that we see exhibited here that we have to understand as part of of us as human nature. And I think as we think back over the course of this book, I want to make sure that we recognize, and I think we do at this point, but when it comes to this idea of passion and romance and sex and desire, that we should not be separating it from things like fulfillment and admiration and adoration and respect and all of the things that are both sides of that coin. And I think what we see in the world around us is people are chasing the ultimate feeling of a fulfilling relationship through the means of sex. Or, you know, sometimes it's not even sex. Sometimes it's addiction or sometimes it's food or shopping or whatever. There is a craving. And ultimately that craving is for God and the things that God has designed us to experience. And yet we try to go about it in a way that's opposite of the way that he has designed. And so what people discover, oftentimes way too late when they've enmeshed in inappropriate, unhealthy, relationships is that chasing the feeling that you are looking for that only comes through a committed, fulfilling relationship that's God honoring, chasing that through sex is the wrong way to get it. And so on one hand, we see the way that true love, the way that God has designed in terms of this transformation kind of relationship, the way that we see unpacked throughout this book, that can bring ultimate fulfillment and peace. The flip side of that is chaos and brokenness. And remember I said how the enemy has a version of everything that God has a version of. And so God's version of marriage is one that leads to this place of mutual desire and mutual fulfillment and friendship, deep heart level soul friendship and companionship. Well, the enemy's going to try to sell you a bill of goods that is completely opposite of that. And so we have to be aware that, you know, when people are hesitant to maybe become a Christian or to follow God's plan and obedience, and they see God's design for sex is just restrictive. We have to understand that it's part of God's ultimate plan for us because God wants us to experience the goodness of his love and the goodness of the love of our spouse. And so if we see that just, okay, no sex outside of a marriage as a restriction, we have to step back and look at the bigger picture because God doesn't want chaos and brokenness for us. He wants fulfillment and peace for us. And as a final word, I just want to touch base on something. I know at the beginning and at the onset of this study in the intro, I talked about how a lot of times when you hear Song of Solomon preached and taught, it is through the lens of this is an allegory about God's love for you. And while that is not necessarily true in the sense of the original author's intent, this is very much about human relationships. I do want to actually play the opposite side of that for a second and hear me out. By being included in the scriptures, by the book of Song of Solomon being in our Bibles, 
there is another aspect outside of the context that we have just studied. And that's why I want to talk about this at the end. By being in the scripture, what we know about the scriptures is God's word is living and active. And what that means, if you haven't heard that term before, what that means is God breathed these words. And scripture might not have originally been written to us, but it was written for us. And so there are times where you will read something, and I'm not encouraging you to take anything out of context. That's not what I'm talking about. But there are things that will happen as you're reading where God, especially as you're studying and meditating on his word, God will use that to minister to your heart in a powerful way. And you know, I was reading a book this week by Brennan Manning. And if you've never read anything by Brennan, and we might do a study on it soon, but he was a former Franciscan priest who fell in love with Jesus. And so he has lots of books out. I believe he's passed away, but there's a book that he does called The Furious Longing of God. And it's all about how God longs for relationship with us. And one of the things that Brennan talks about in that book is in chapter seven of Song of Solomon, there's that line, and I told you yesterday to pay attention. It says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And Brennan talks about how God used that phrase, that that one line of scripture in his life to constantly pull him back. In those moments where he felt like he was falling away, he would go through that and he would meditate on that. And he would remind himself that God desired him. And I think that's what I want to leave you with. I think ultimately, instead of just thinking about the Song of Solomon as this relationship between a man and a woman, I want you to take a step back and think about it in terms of it being a gift from God. And ultimately, we see God as the Father. And as a father not just a father, but a good father. Scripture says he's a good father. As a good father, he wants what's good for us. Think about your own children. If you have children or children that you love in your life, you want what's good for them. You don't just want them to be in relationship with you, but you want to have a good relationship with them. And so as a good father, God wants you to be protected and safe and loved in this world of chaos. And then ultimately, that's based on his desire for you because he is the creator, you are the created. He loves you. He desires you. He desires to be in relationship with you. And so if you take nothing away from this series and this study, know that there is this desire that God has to be in relationship with you. And I believe that that's why God has created this picture of marriage that we see and this gift of marriage that we can experience because it's a reflection of his love for us. So as we finish up this study, I just want to leave you with that. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread this last chapter starting at verse 1. It says, Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my brother's breasts. If I found you outdoors, I would kiss you. No one would despise me either. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother who used to instruct me. I would give you spiced wine to drink from the juice of my pomegranates. Left his hand and be under my head and his right hand embrace me. Swear to me, you daughters of Jerusalem, do not disturb or awaken my love until she pleases. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Beneath the apple tree, I awakened you. There is your mother who went into labor with you. There she is in labor and gave birth to you. Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as Sheol. Its flames are flames of fire, the flames of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers flood over it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised." 
We have a little sister, and she has no breast. For what shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. If she is a door, we will barricade her with the planks of cedar. I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers, when then I became in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Balhaman. He entrusted the vineyard to caretakers. Each one was to bring a thousand shekels of silver for its fruit. My very own vineyard is at my disposal. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred are for those who take care of its fruit. You who sit in the gardens, my companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear it. Hurry, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of the balsam trees." God, we thank you for this book and the way that it continues to reveal your heart for us, your parenting of us, and the way that you've created marriage as a gift for us to experience just a little bit of the fulfillment that we find in you through our relationship here. God, I pray for those that have listened to this and it made maybe it's been difficult. I mean, I, based off the feedback, I know there are some people that are loving it. And there are some people that are ashamed that I would even talk about such things on a public platform. Lord, I pray for a softening of hearts. I pray for people to have an understanding that all scripture is God breathed. And we can't just ignore parts of the book because it's uncomfortable or hard or difficult for us to learn about. But God, instead, help us to have a hunger, a hunger for you, a hunger for your word, a hunger to know the God of the Bible and the way that you reveal yourself to to us. And Lord, I thank you for the treasure that the book of Song of Songs is, that that these words, this poetry, this love poetry that we see can be such a blessing for us if we allow it. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to speak in this space. And I just pray for those that are listening and that have listened, that you would abundantly bless them today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey friend, every day when I finish the podcast, I feel so confident that this is one of the things that God created me for. And my journey is not unlike yours. I had a season in my life where I was doubting God's voice. I felt insecure about the things that I thought he might be telling me to do. If you were in that place, I want you to know that I offer spiritual direction and life coaching to help you get unstuck. Maybe you're struggling with something and need an objective biblical opinion. Maybe you need some help working through something that feels a little heavy. Maybe you feel called to write or start your own podcast. Or maybe you just want to learn how to hear God's voice more clearly. For me, when God started to reveal his plan for my life, I found my purpose. And part of that purpose is to help you learn how to grow in your relationship with him. My heart is to help guide you in this area so you can step confidently into the calling God has for you. If you would like to start spiritual direction or life coaching, I'm opening up space for a couple more clients. You can head to shehears.org forward slash coaching to learn more. That's shehears.org forward slash coaching. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going. Keep going.